What's up, guys? It's Drea. Welcome to episode number 137 of the Savvy Social Podcast. This show is brought to you by Fan Booster by Traject, which is the world's most complete social media management tool. And it's my tool of choice when it comes to things like scheduling, managing, and especially reporting on social media. Try them out for yourself for free by clicking the link in the show notes of this podcast. I'm really excited to talk to today's guest because as y'all know, inside of the Savvy Social School, this month is all about maintaining momentum momentum. And if 2020 has taught us anything, we have to kind of think of our feet and keep this train going. And in today's guest, we're going to talk about how a lot of businesses have pivoted into virtual events from having lots of live events planned because we're still in the midst of a global pandemic. Now, for those of you not in the school, still looking to kind of get a framework and a strategy planned out for your social media, I do want to invite you to check out our free course the social media success framework by going to onlinedrea.com slash free. It'll really give you the foundational elements of building out your strategy. And then you can take what we learned today and apply that to your own strategy. Now, today, as I mentioned, I do have a special guest on the show. Lauren Caselli is a former event consultant who has worked with tech companies and SaaS companies to really help create strategic live events for their digital and founder communities. She has been an event host for the eight-time sold-out Boss Lady Bass with 15 years of industry experience before 2020 crashed the live event industry. Lauren helped clients create better events that build customer loyalty recurring revenue and through their products and events themselves. So Lauren, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about events, especially as there's a glimmer of live events potentially happening in 2021. Oh, yes. Like I know for a fact that I'm personally going to overextend myself with live events because with this digital world and working digitally, I'm really missing like human, real human connection. Same, same. (laughs) Uh, so let's start a little bit. Um, I want to kind of get your your thoughts about the event industry as it started um, shifting at the beginning of 2020. I know we kind of talked about this a little bit offline, but you know, a lot of my clients even had live events planned for March, April, May, June, and in my head, I was like, ah, "We'll just lock down for like two weeks, and we'll be fine." Totally. <laughs> so yeah. give us a little bit of that background. Yeah. So it was interesting because uh, in 2020, we had been, so I've been in the event industry since 2008, which was kind of the collapse, financial collapse, um, which also really heavily impacted the event industry. And so in 2020, um, kind of at the beginning of the year before everything, ha- you know, before the pandemic sort of became more of a global phenomenon, um, the event industry had sort of been out of that for 12 years. It had grown, um, obviously like live streaming was like becoming very common. And so we were pretty slow to the technology game, but kind of in 2020, that was when it was like live streaming and, you know, you had um, event apps um, and technology specific to the event world. Um, and then 2020 happened. And there was a moment uh, sort of in March where um, all of my clients were like, we're just going to hold off for now. A couple events got canceled March, April, May, but we all thought that we were going to go back into, you know, large gatherings relatively quickly. So I had clients that were doing events in June, July, and September of 2020. And we were still planning. I was still talking to vendors. I was still, um, you know, doing uh, marketing plans. Um, And so think about that now, or even a couple months ago, um, is kind of funny, because clearly that was, you know, not possible, and, and certainly not something that could happen. 
And specific to the corporate event industry or um, marketing events, those didn't and won't come back because companies won't be able to take the liability to be live. Um, And so that pretty sort of like early on, maybe like June, July, people were like, okay, we're probably not having events for at least a year. Whereas the wedding industry, I think people were doing smaller gatherings and there was like a bit more of a pivot in live events, Um, corporate events for the most part. um, Corporate companies didn't want to take the risk that they could lead to a super spreader event. And so they basically just shoved all live events till July of last year. So um, it was about an 18 month runway of like definitely no events, which was shocking and terrible, (laughs) but it was also good in in terms of innovation and um, the acceleration of technology that makes live experiences more accessible. Yes. And I want to kind of talk about that acceleration of technology because I remember explaining to my husband what Zoom was and it's now like a verb. (laughs) Yeah. Pervasive, like everywhere. And um, 18, 2019, when I started working with some bigger like multinational companies, those people were talking about live streaming as an add-on. They were like, yeah, we'll do it for the people who are back home in their offices who like can't travel because of client work or whatever. But there was like no, it was kind of like, yeah, we'll do it because our company asked us to, but we're not putting any sort of effort into it. We're not going to like do any sort of like special, you know, video or anything like that. And now the sort of amount of technology and the production values of live streaming, just simple live streaming is bananas. It's just so, you know, you can have a really um, pleasant virtual experience. I mean, we all saw the the conventions. If you're in the U.S., you saw the political conventions in the summer. Um, and that was just a really good example of just the high quality production quality of a live event and how quickly people sort of started, you know, figuring that out. And that's great for, you know, that's great for everyone. It's great for accessibility. Um, it gives people more options. And for, you know, digital business owners or people who are looking to host a live event, you now have the option to make it accessible to a lot more people with, you know, better technologies, higher production values, and a way to make it like an actually at-home entertainment piece. So I think it's really exciting. And I think we're just at the start of it. Yes. Okay. So for, for those businesses who were marketing a live event and then had to shift to a digital event, um, what are some of the things that you saw in that marketing process to kind of still have people bought in? I think the hardest part is if you're like really excited about going live somewhere and then suddenly your ticket's now a virtual ticket. Yeah. Um, there's got to be some like marketing tips and tricks there for how we still keep people bought in and still give them an amazing experience. Yeah. So what we're seeing, so there's a couple, I feel like there's a couple questions in there. So how do we be really great marketers for virtual events and how do we capture people from a marketing standpoint? And then how do we create a virtual event experience that actually is pleasing (laughs) and fun? Um, Because as we all know, we've been in this for almost 12 months um, and it is it is challenging to hold someone's attention on a screen. Um, And that's what we're finding uh, with virtual events, I think. At the beginning, there was sort of a long push to sort of just keep the format the same. Like, we'll just, you know, in the sort of like panic pivot, it was like, we'll do it online, we'll do it via Zoom, we'll just keep everything the same and go for it. And that's great, right? They had to, you know, people who had events had to do that. Um, But what we're finding is that people have a short, you know, a short screen attention span. And so if you're thinking about coming up with a new digital event or if your engagement wasn't really that high for for a recent digital event, um, we're finding that about three hours is kind of the sweet spot. So if you can do a series, like a quarterly series, or if you can do it over a couple of days, um, three hours seems to be the longest period of time that people can 
continuously um, be on a Zoom or other type of digital video and stay engaged. You know, so we're, when I work with big companies, I advise that. I'm like, look, I know you really want to do a full day of content, but we don't recommend uh, because people fall off after, you know, two and a half, three and a half hours. So um, that's kind of a thing that we're finding uh, in terms of engagement at the event. So in terms of marketing the event, I've actually found that marketing digital events has always been really similar to marketing, you know, any sort of digital experience, a course or anything like that. There's still the sort of like, you know, um, I think the one difference with maybe events is that the sales cycle was always much longer. So if you were selling a product or, you know, you have like a launch window, which is like two weeks, three weeks, six weeks, something like that. And with events, because in the live space, there was like such a run up to, you know, like let's say it's February now, you know, last year or two years ago, we would have been planning for the fall for travel, right? We got to get our flights, we got to get our hotels. So we, we make plans farther in advance, which is why when you're marketing a live event, you need to open ticket sales or at least do save the dates or something like that significantly earlier than you would do for literally almost any, any product, like any product is much, a much shorter sales cycle. But now with uh, events gone virtual, you can shorten that sales cycle again because all people have to do is log on to their computer. Um, And so the only thing I would say that has changed in terms of the way that we're marketing is that we're treating virtual events as if they were sort of like a digital product, which means the sales cycle is shorter. You don't have to plan the marketing cycle quite as lengthy. Um, And that's great because it gives you time to either host multiple events in a year or it gives you time to sort of say, we want to do an event in two months. Whereas if that was a live event, you'd be struggling (laughs) to do a live event in person in two months. So I would say that's the only difference kind of from a, you know, social marketing standpoint. Okay. I'm over here like taking notes because this is so (laughs) um, interesting with the differences between marketing live and virtual. So there's a few things that you said in there that I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper on, which is marketing these virtual events. So when we're thinking about it, we don't really have to have that long of a marketing runway. Um, So you could think of an event today and and market it and and have it in two months. Um, But is there like a recommended amount of time to start planning and marketing a virtual event? It depends on the kind of virtual event. So taking a step back, just like live events, there's tons of different types of virtual events, right? There's workshops, there's facilitated discussions, there's, you know... um, Talking Head is sort of like a, you know, either interviews or conference where there's like one person up on the screen or up on the stage um, and it's more like, a, you know, larger audience. So it really depends on sort of what the format is. And the reason it depends on the format is because if you are having speakers or if other people are involved, um, you'll likely need a timeline where you can sort of ask your speakers if they can speak, if they can prepare something, um, depending on the content. So all of those timelines from the behind the scenes standpoint might still be exist. You know, when we do live events, we like to get on our speakers calendars six to 12 months in advance, just because, you know, working in tech and VC, um, people are busy. And so at least getting on their calendar, even if they don't do anything until the week before, um, is an important strategy to get the people that we want in the room. So from a planning standpoint, definitely thinking about who you want to speak, thinking about what that looks like and getting on those people's calendars in advance. However, you know, again, the recommended amount, I always love more time, but uh, I sort of, because I work in, you know, tech and corporate, um, a lot of times, you know, we get maybe three to four months runways on any event, no matter what. (laughs) 
So um, like I have a client who they just called me, uh, you know, the first week in January and, you know, their events in March. So that's about, you know, two months. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's just, it happens and it's totally fine. And again, um, it's a lot better to do a virtual event in two months because again, the marketing cycle is often the, it's the biggest push because um, I don't want to switch too much into event strategy, but usually when you're, you're hosting a live or virtual event, it's a marketing effort, right? You're either selling a product at the end, you're creating customer loyalty by getting all your people in the room and creating great content. So an event in and of itself is a marketing entity most of the time, unless you're a community founder and we can talk about that too. But (laughs) so it's a marketing entity. So you're marketing twice, you're marketing to get people at the event and then you're marketing whatever the product is you're selling at the event and after the event. And so um, whatever your marketing team is, is working double duty on the front end and on the back end. And so um, you just have to sort of think about how you can effectively use your resources so that your event plays into, you know, you're not stressed out doing, you know, marketing for an event and then like marketing after the event for something else. Yes. Okay. That That's actually a really good distinction between marketing the event itself and then marketing like the, almost like the internal experience is marketing in and of itself as well. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk a little bit about that runway leading up to an event. What types of things should we be talking about on social media? What types of content we sh- we sh- should we be posting? How should we approach kind of planning out our marketing when it comes to social media? Yeah. So um, I worked with a social media strategist on an event a long time ago, and she sort of phrased phrased it the best that I've ever heard someone phrase it. So I, if I remembered her name, I would shout her out, but I don't remember. It was such a long time ago. Um, so this is not my work, but she had said that there's sort of like three pieces to event-specific marketing. And one of them is sort of like visual vibe atmosphere. So like, what's it going to look like when I'm there? So with, you know, this is for a live event, and then I'll talk about how we can translate that to virtual events. But for a live event, um, what's it going to look like when I'm there? Who's going to be in the room? What are people going to look like? What's the room going to look like? Is it light and airy? So if anyone has ever seen marketing for an event, you'll notice there's like pictures of furniture or like it's light and airy or people are mingling or they're having a cocktail or something like that. So there's sort of like the visual vibe of the event. Um, And the point of that is really to sort of help the person that is attending, figure out what it's going to be like and if the aesthetic and the the experience matches what that person has in their brain. So just creating a picture of what the event looks like. So there's that content um, and that's definitely more visual. Then there's speakers and content. So what are you going to learn? What are we going to learn about? Why is it a good use of my time? You know, you know, let's say it's a, a live event about social media, you know, talking about the different topics that are going to be discussed, the different speakers that are going to be discussed, Um, empowering speakers, you know, so sending a social media sort of like packet to speakers so that they can promote it on their channels um, is really important because hopefully we can get some of our speakers audiences as well. Um, And then the third one is the people, people at the (laughs) event you know, who it's for, uh, pictures of past attendees, pictures of sort of like creating a peer group from your social media. So those are generally like the three areas that we try to hit on when we're promoting an event, because people come to events for two reasons, virtual or live, the content um, and the network. And generally with a live event, people come for the network, even though they think they come for the content. Unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, in virtual events, it's kind of the opposite because we just haven't quite figured out a way to make 
networking really great and easy and accessible for virtual events. <laughs> I think we're working on it. Hopefully there's like some new, but um, yeah, that, that piece for virtual events still hasn't quite been figured out. So um, going to virtual events, so switching gears to virtual events, if you think about those three buckets, the vibe and the visualness of it, um, the speakers and the content, and then the network of people that you're going to meet, um, you're going to place more like a heavier emphasis on the speakers and the content because those are the things that are really going to draw your crowd. So can you get your speakers to do videos? Can you get them to do a little intro and, you know, post on their stories? Can you, you know, just talk a little bit about, you know, what the content is and the talks that people are going to give. So it's definitely a heavier content focus when you're thinking about social media, whether that's LinkedIn, email marketing. We don't really use Instagram, (laughs) but I know some people do for their events. Facebook is a big one for clients of mine still. Yes. Okay. I like the three different buckets because I think, you know, when we're thinking about marketing the event, you're right in that a lot of us go straight to the content and the speakers, right? What is it? What are you going to learn? But I even think in the presentation of the content and the speakers, you're giving off like the vibe of the event, what the quote unquote digital atmosphere will be like, or the virtual (laughs) atmosphere, even if it is uh, virtual, I think there is a vibe to that sort of presentation. Um, And, you know, different things like even how you edit the video, where the speaker is filming the video, all of those things, I think, add to what attendees can expect when they attend these events. And um, even from my perspective as a speaker, there are a few people who I've done their virtual summits. I've spoke at their virtual summits over the years. Krista Miller comes to mind. Shout out to Krista. She puts on an amazing virtual event. And I will always say yes to her if I have time because of the experience from start to finish. It's not just the marketing, but from a speaker's perspective, she really cares for everybody in that entire process. Um, And so it is a sort of intangible feeling that goes along with these things that can reflect into social media marketing. So I'm really glad that you kind of identified that and brought that up. So my next question is about kind of managing the, um, not the marketing of the event itself, like leading up to the event, but one of the things you talked about was the event in and of itself is a marketing tool. So how does that reflect on social media? What should kind of event planners be thinking about as they're running their live event virtually, um, but also sharing that live event as it's happening on social media? You know, whenever we do like a social meeting with a client, there there are three sort of phases. There's pre-event, which is mostly about marketing. There's on-site at the event, and then there's post-event. But for social, uh, social for everything really, but strategies for each of those things. And so on-site is really, well, in the tech world, it's all about like quotes and tweetables and things that you can sort of show to not necessarily for the client that year, because most of the time people you know, with some variation. Most of the time people at an event are like not paying attention to the social media of the event virtually because they're focused on the screen and they're trying to like network in the comments. Um, And so if you're, let's say you're a social media, you know, strategist and you're trying to cover um, a virtual event, um, a lot of it is for the people who aren't there. So it's sort of like coming up with quotables, coming up with videos, maybe like videoing the screen a little bit, you know, showing the speakers in their element, if you have permission to do that. Um, And a lot of it is sort of building up the picture of the event 
for the people who are not there, less about the people who are there. Um, and so thinking about, you know, I hate to use the word FOMO, but sort of this, um, this idea that like this event's really fun and we're having a great time. And what can you show in the behind the scenes, whether it's, you know, behind the scenes of the tech, you know, depending on how big your event is, like the tech stack and the AV guys, generally they're guys, AV people um, in the back, you know, doing all the video camera things. <laughs> This is how much I know about production. <laughs> I'm like, just do it. And they're like, yeah, okay, great. This is our lane. Anyway, um, so can you show behind the scenes? Can you show, um, you know, how the, the sausage gets made on site at the, at the virtual event? That's kind of the, the more fun part. Um, and then post-event, usually what you're doing is you're taking all of the content. Hopefully it's been recorded. Um, and you're taking all of the content and you're either, you know, this is probably your lane more than mine, but you're taking all of the content and making it into kind of content that you can use going forward. So whether it's videos for YouTube, whether it's, you know, quote cards and Instagram cards and things like that for other social media efforts, you're really just using the content that happened at the event to sort of like lengthen your, you know, talk about the event, talk about the content that was created, and then use it for marketing the event next year, whether you sell tickets right after the event, if your event strategy is sell an event every year or for, you know, when you launch to get sales again in the next year. Um, and that's pretty similar for a live event. The only difference is generally at a live event in person, you also have either a, an app, a messaging app or something on site so that people can connect offline or you have a hashtag, which you can also do at a virtual event. But there is sort of like an added element at an in-person event of trying to get the people at the conference to connect, to like make their own tweetables and to sort of follow each other. And while I would love to say that that does happen at virtual events, it happens far less than at live events because people are focused on the screen in front of them <laughs> um, or the chat, um, chatting in the chat or chatting, you know, in other places rather than on their social devices. So yeah, I do. I I mean, for me, that's one of the downsides to virtual events is that we haven't quite figured out the networking piece. Um, that's my biggest reason to go to live events. I'm not there for the content, really. I'm there to like rub elbows with people and like yeah. get out from behind the computer screen. And the thing that you mentioned about Krista making the experience for speakers um, really, really great for virtual events is sort of probably the closest we can come because like I said, most people think that they go to an event for the content, but they really go for the network. Um, and if you are thinking about hosting a virtual or a live event, how can you really double down on network? And maybe it's spending more time doing workshops instead of like talking head stuff and, um, you know, asking your audience to participate or have them call in or something like that. So just a side note, because you're right, we are desperately seeking human interaction and not getting it. <laughs> yes, for sure. I'm hoping the technology catches up because of the the position that we're in in this global pandemic. It's kind of making the technology catch up. So I'm excited to see how this evolves over the next year, or even um, yeah. to to seeing how we how we can dial into that networking piece. Yeah, same. One of the things that you mentioned earlier was that there's a difference between different types of events. And I think there are two that you mentioned, um, community-driven events and communication-driven events. Can you talk a little bit about the differences? Yeah. So from a strategic standpoint, there are generally, when I work with a client, there's generally two types of clients. One, a client who is hosting an event in order to drive business for their company. Um, that can look like a variety of things. But if you're in the digital world, a lot of times it'll be like Amy Porterfield's entrepreneur experience is driving business for her 
product. I don't actually know what the product is, but it's driving business for her product. Um, I would, again, I have no idea. I've never worked with their team, but a lot of events are loss leaders um, in that they either break even or they lose money because they know that sort of the experience in and of itself is enough to build loyalty so that customers kind of buy into a product. Um, ConvertKit also does that. Um, their conference is great. It's They do a great job, but the point is to build customer loyalty, either to engage new customers and then those customers obviously have a long lifetime value or to sort of build loyalty within their existing customer base. So that's sort of the, um, I would say, one sort of strategy, uh, maybe the communication strategy. Um, and then there's a, another type of event, which is if you own a community, um, either a paid for community or a community of users, um, hosting an event for those people because, and those generally are more are profitable depending on the, the type of the event, um, because those people are already have already bought into you. They already love your product um, and they're either coming to like hang out with you and like talk about the product and talk about other people who love your product or they are coming because like Clavio, for example, does a lot of like user days for their users. Um, and so Clavio will come and say like, hey, we're testing and debuting all these features and we'd really love for you to come in and tell us what you think about them. So it's a way for that company to sort of get live feedback from their best customers and also like treat their customers and have a really great experience. Um, and so those events are uh, just a little bit different in terms of format, in terms of, you know, the goals and things like that. So community driven events are less about the marketing. You don't have to quite market them quite so hard um, because those people already love you. They already want to come. And I, those are my favorite events <laughs> because it makes the marketing lift a lot easier. <laughs> um, whereas kind of events that are a little bit more like communication and product driven. You're doing a lot of communicating on the front end. You're doing a lot of communicating about the product at the event. Um, and then you're doing a lot of sort of like sales post event. So there's definitely like a really strong marketing thread throughout the entire event. Does that make sense? The difference between the two? Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. And that um, is exactly what we do in in my membership community, the Savvy Social School, where we have different events and things that the members can participate in. And we kind of talk about it outside of the school, but it's mostly like for our, for our members to like give back to them and to, and to give them amazing experiences. So I love that distinction. Um, so for those people who are listening and they're like, yes, I want to start hosting my own live or virtual events. I know that you have a product that is a really great place to start for them. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so because I work primarily with larger companies who have quite large budgets, um, there's generally an entire team that we <laughs> that we have when we're doing an event. There's obviously the planning team. There's sort of like the executive team that does all the decision making and like client strategy. Um, there's social media teams. Um, but a lot of people would come to me and say like, I want to host my own workshop, or I want to, you know, our company is maybe like you know, a smaller company. Um, and we want to do, you know, we really want to, you know, host, you know, 50 people or something like that. And that just, I wasn't a good fit for that because it's expensive <laughs> to work with a, uh, an event from an event standpoint. So I created this program called events that convert. And the point of it really is, is for you as a business owner who is trying to sell, mostly trying to sell product, whether that's, physical product or a service. If you're a service provider, I find that events, uh, a great event strategy works really, really well for service providers because it allows you to get into the room with people who you potentially could work with. Um, and it's actually a really great way for you to sort of like build your influence um, is leading an event, either virtual or in person. Um, so events that convert kind of walks you through a lot of the sort of like, are you making sure that you are creating an event that your people would want to come to? How do you make sure that you are, you know, like we had talked about nurturing your people rather than just like focusing on the content that you're teaching. Because again, people come for the content, but they really want you. They really want to hear from you and kind of 
you know, be engaged with you. And so if you're working with a smaller audience, whether it's virtual or live, you can add different content pieces to make your event more personal to help sort of drive a community, you know, drive community of people who, who eventually could potentially be clients. So Events That Convert talks all about that. The last kind of half of the modules, the beginning is more about strategy. The last half of the modules are about planning. So if you're not doing an in-person event, <laughs> the last half is a little bit less relevant. But I have, do have a goal in Q1 to uh, create a virtual module about softwares and things like that. But you can certainly just use Zoom because we're all <laughs> really familiar with Zoom. Um, I find that with smaller events, platform matters way less. Um, it's more about sort of like, you know, do participants get a chance to speak for smaller events, 50 and under? Like, so can you do, you know, any sort of, you know, calling on people and getting people up and, and talking to them? Um, those are always really great ways to, to drive engagement for, for virtual events. Awesome. I'll put the link to that. It's eventsthatconvert.com. I'll put the link in the show notes. Thank you so much, Lauren, for joining us today. Where else can we connect with you? I know you're on Insta. Yeah, I mostly hang out on Insta. It's a mix of personal and business, um, but Insta at Lauren Caselli underscore. Yes, awesome. And I'll put that link in the description as well. Uh, next up next week, episode 138, I have Erica Corday coming on to talk all about diversity and inclusion on social media. How do we navigate? Especially if you have lots of questions, definitely tune into that episode next week. And if you like the show, make sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We love you guys. You guys keep us in the top 100 marketing podcasts in the US, Canada, and now in Australia and the UK. And that's because of you, dear listener. So make sure to head on over, leave your review, leave your thoughts, give us five stars so that other people can find us as well. I'll see you guys next week. Bye.